0: Good morning everybody, it is as always wonderful to be together on a Sunday morning, uh, together in our hearts, together in spirit, even though we cannot be physically together, um, I, I do appreciate our times together and I must be, I'll be honest, it's a, it's a struggle sometimes, um, I spend most of my week in front of my computer in uh in calls with uh, people at my work, one-on-one calls, group calls, small groups, large groups, discussions, presentations, and by the time it co- by the time it comes to the weekend, I'm sometimes so uh, screen exhausted that I feel like um, I've had enough. Uh, I I uh, I can't face another screen, uh, but I do look forward to Sunday mornings because. When I do think beyond the screen and, and I think about the people and us just connecting and the banter when we uh, start a bit, uh, log in a bit earlier and uh, have some fun, um, I miss that and I, and I do appreciate it. And um, Every time I go away thinking I'm so glad uh, I did not let my screen apprehension keep me away from, uh, from meeting up with everybody today. We are going to carry on with our uh, series, my series uh, from 1 John. And uh, we are in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 to 11 today, as I believe Garth, who was reading to us, was it Garth? Yes. Um, read to us this morning. And uh, if you like titles, um, the title for today is Let's Get Off the Fence. Um, I want to start off with a, a, a question um, we have a bit of a mystery in this scripture, in this passage that we looked at. And uh, it's this mystery of, uh, he says, John writes and he says, um, I'm not writing a new commandment, but an old one. And then he says, I'm writing a new commandment. It's a bit of a mystery, something that is both old and new. Um, some people love mysteries. Uh, so you're welcome to unmute yourself or pop something in the chat box, but, um, do you, do you like mysteries? Do you, uh, what is your favorite mystery? Um, I love mysteries. As a, as a child, uh, I loved reading, and especially I loved reading books like Sherlock Holmes or Nancy Drew or The Famous Five and The Hardy Boys. And, and what, I, what I liked about those stories is that they were always solving a mystery. There was some mystery to go after and to figure out and, and, and to find out what was going on. So I'm interested. Who else likes mysteries? So, um, oh, Lynn loves the midsummer murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah, a good game of Cluedo. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's um, uh, that's a mystery-solving game. Uh, that's good fun. <coughs> right? Who else? Uh, anybody else? So we're gonna come back to that. Uh, please feel free to keep on popping things in the chat about mysteries. Uh, I want to start off by just recapping as a bit of a <clears throat> a bit of context um, a months ago when we looked at at first uh, john 2 verse 3 to 6 uh, the, the verses that precede the ones that we're looking at today i talked about to know to love and to live and uh, as a summary i think the um, i was thinking about how can i summarize that and, uh, and for me there's three things it's Keeping the commandments is a, is a pathway to know God. And then second, we, lear- we learned that uh, obeying the commandments is an expression of love for God. And the third thing is that living like Jesus is the way of love, confirming that we know God. So John sort of sets the scene with this pattern of knowing, loving, and living. And then he brings us back to this, uh, to this mystery in verse 7 and he talks about he says i am not writing a new commandment to you but an old one in fact it's so old he says this commandment you've had from the beginning and then in verse 8 he says on the other hand i am writing a new commandment to you now this is uh, this is quite interesting how can something be both old and new or what is both old and new um, while you think about that, I'll, I'll catch up on some uh, some of these mystery comments. So, the Palmers like the hound of the basketballs. That's a Sherlock Holmes story, Arthur Cohen Doyle. Um, oh, Leon and Sarah are fans of the Midsummer Murders. Poirot, oh yeah, he's a classic. Yeah. And Vera, um, in our household. Um, the Palmer says thanks, that autocorrect. Okay, I didn't say basketball. I'm missing classic. something. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> oh! Basketball, basketball. Yeah. Um, Ethan says the alien monuments around the world lately. Oh, these these uh, these mystery pylons. What is it that uh, the obelisks that, uh, that that's that's been going up? I was wondering is that like a, like a, um, uh, what is this guy that paints m- walls all over London? Anyway, maybe it's some mystery. Who's the mystery? That's a good mystery. Yes. Trigger's broom, says the mateys. Tigger. Is it Tigger or Trigger? Trigger. Trigger. I have no idea what that's about. You have it's to brilliant. be English to know that. Trigger's broom is a um, comedy, right? The broom is, broom is new, but it's had five new handles and four new heads. Ah, oh, that's something that's both old and new. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so, so something can be old and new. That's That's an example. What word is, is that? An oldy feels and horses reference. Yeah, yeah. About <laughs> this, about this broom for fifteen years. That's five new animals oh. and two new heads. <laughs> how cool that is Danny, That's a good mystery solved. Something that's both old and new. Yeah. What what word do we use to to describe something that's both old and new? Any Retro. thoughts? Uh, Was that? Retro. Retro. My wife says retro, both old and new. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like vinyl. Vinyl is old and new. It was old, and now suddenly it's new again. And then we call it retro. We once uh, bought a, a, a lounge suite, which we were really proud of, brand new. And then uh, a, a person, which shall remain unnamed, not, not, not in this uh, city or country, so, so it's okay, uh, came to visit. And he was like, oh, I love your old retro uh, lounge suite. <laughs> and we were not sure to be complimented or offended because it was brand new. Um, but that was both old and new, yes. Uh, so um, the maker says beard or hair are both old and new. Desmond says buying a second-hand car. It's both old and new, true, Yes. I I bought a new car earlier this year when my old one broke down. I I was very proudly telling, oh, I've got a new car. And I showed up at church with my new car. But it was actually 10 years old. In fact, it is still 10 years old, soon to be 11 years old. It's both old and new. To me, it was like new. Um, But it is actually quite old. Um, uh, What else could be old and new? A Bible? A new Bible that you bought? I bought a new Bible. Well. Maybe the book is new, the printing is new, but the words are very old. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Sarah says knitting, apparently. Yes, we've had this discussion before. Uh, as she is knitting, she's knitting something new, but knitting is as old as the Bible. I think there was some passage, uh, It was, is it Psalm 134 maybe that says, um, God knit us together in our in our mother's womb. Uh, Penny says new covers of old records. Mm. Yes. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, what else could be old and new? The moon. How's the moon both old and new? Yes, little says, because you have a new moon once a month. The moon itself is very old, but once a month we have a new moon. Here's an interesting one. You are both old and new. Did you know that the atoms in your body, you know, all the little molecules and, you know, the carbon and everything that makes up our living being, our physical body, is, we're basically made of space dust. Like the Bible says, we came from dust. Uh, In fact, the cell, the the molecules, the carbon in our body is probably about four and a half billion years old. Uh, Yet, some of our living cells are relatively new. Now, the scientists and maybe Penny and Dawn can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, some of the cells in our body is not older than a day. And some of them are as old as your number of birthdays, both old and new. So that's very interesting. Just catch up on some of the chats here. so the maker says the stars are both old and new. Recycled stuff, yes. Uh, some of that, some of the things in my house to me was brand new, but they actually is recycled from on a free cycle. Other people's old stuff becomes my new stuff. Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, Danny's jokes are both old and new. (laughs) That's a sign of of getting older, Danny. You know, when you think it's a new joke and everybody else thinks, oh, yeah, we've heard that one before, Danny. (laughs) So Penny confirms what I'm saying. She says, it's true, the tongue renews almost daily, but the cells in the ovary are as old as you. That is fascinating. So you are both old and new. So back to the scripture here, John writes and he says, I write this command to you that is both old and new. And we're reminded of when the the teachers of the law came to ask Jesus, and one specific one asked him about what is the most important command, Jesus actually quoted one of these old commandments. He says, well, you know what what it says, the scripture says, and he quoted Leviticus 19 verse 18. And I'll pop that in the chat. uh, If you want a reference, Leviticus 19 verse 18. I can type. And Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, it starts off by saying, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." And Jesus said this is this very old command, one of the oldest, actually, uh, is one of the most important as well. It's an old command, love your neighbor as yourself. But then there was a new command. In uh, John 13, verse 34 and 35, If you want the reference, Jesus said a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we put these two next to each other, this old commandment (coughs) that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and the new one that says as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What is the same and what is the difference between this old and this new command? And uh, feel free to unmute yourself or uh, pop it in the chat. So there's some more comments here. Anita says, things of God are as old for the ancient nations and new for every generation who comes across his word. What, what yeah. church and verse are you in, Stefan? Um, the references that I was reading, do you mean, Bill? Yeah, I, I don't know where you are. Is it 1 John 3? Our theme is in 1 John 2, verse 7 to 11. Right, thank but you. A, right, so that's our theme passage. Thanks. The, the scriptures I'm referring to, the Old Commandment, is Leviticus 19, verse 18, that says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the new command is John 13, verse 34, where Jesus says, As I have loved you, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what is the difference between these two commands, the old and the new? Because what Jesus says here looks pretty much the same and similar to the old commandment. So why does he say it's new? What's the difference here? Any thoughts? You can pop it in the chat or unmute yourself. It's a bit of a mystery. Another riddle. I can think of something. As yes, goes, anita. Uh, you know, Jeremiah says that every day comes with new things, then that new is according to every day we reach to live that can be something new for the day to come. Yeah, maybe it's the application that's new. Yeah, thank you for that, Aneta. That's how we apply it. Anybody else, any thoughts? So Sarah says the New Testament command takes the Old Testament one and calls us higher. Yeah, I like that. It calls us higher. In, in what way does it call us higher? Uh, God says, because it is as relevant now as it was then. It could be a, a renewal, as uh, Netta says, so it, and, and it's, uh, it's a, a reminder of its relevance. Um, then Liesl says, Jesus' example is new, as I have loved you. So that's, if, you, if we simply put them against, next to each other, we see that The the benchmark, and I think that's what um, Sarah also says about the new command calls us higher, the benchmark of the old one, um, and the benchmark is the one against you measure something, the counterweight, Uh, the calibration, is yourself. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Whereas the new command of Jesus, he says, as I have loved. So the benchmark of, of our love is new. It's not just ourselves anymore, but the benchmark is now Jesus. And that is one of the things that makes it a new command. Um, there's some other comments here. Uh, to what John and Lynn Watkins says, to the extent of being prepared to die for others, that is the, the, the benchmark of Jesus, correct, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a calling that's higher. Um, Desmond says, because it, is, because it is the new covenant. Uh, that's true as well. It's a, it's a different covenant under which this commandment operates. Um, Leon and Sarah says, to think and love as God does, not ourselves. So for me, that is definitely the the, the difference between these two commandments and and why John says, I write an old commandment to you, but it's actually new. And it is new because there's a new standard. There's a new measurement. If I only have to love my neighbor as myself, to be honest, there are days where I'm not so much in love with myself, where I'm I'm disappointed in myself. I... um, I'm down on myself, I can be judgmental of myself, and if I use that as the benchmark, then I kind of almost have an excuse to feel the same about my neighbor. But if Jesus is the benchmark of my love, then it kind of takes away any excuses for love as well, of, of being, uh, of reducing the quality and, and, and the level of my love. And that's why John also says, it sounds old, but it's actually new. And he says in verse 8 of 1 John 2, John says, It is a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you. So this new commandment really uh, becomes new because it is all about Christ. Jesus Christ is the difference between this old and this new commandment. So that kind of sets the scene and, and, and a reminder of what John is going to say next. He says, you know, this is really what's important, is, is that, we, that we love like Jesus loved. So then he carries on in verse, uh, verse 9. And he says, uh, the one who says he is in the light but still hates his fellow Christian is still in the darkness. And uh, I love the NIV, uh, the NIV talks about brother or sister, but I love the, the, the new English translation here, which says, we talk about his, your fellow Christian. The one who says he's in the light, but still hates his fellow Christian is still in the darkness. And in verse 10, but the one who loves his fellow Christian resides in the light. It's really interesting, This uh, um, the Greek word that's translated here, in the NIV as brother or sister, um, in the New English translation as fellow Christian uh, is, is the Greek word called Adelphoi. Um, adelphoi was, in older translation, just translated as brothers uh, or brethren, uh, if you want to go back to older English. Um, but it could also be, be seen as, as siblings, if you really go back to the root of the word, it's, it's siblings. But what I really find interesting is that uh, the way the earliest translations from the Greek, the people who kind of lived in the time when when it was written and the way they understood the language, when they first translated the Bible into other languages like Latin and and Syriac and Armenian, they translated it as beloved. And uh, so we could say it could read something like the one who says... The one who hates his beloved is still in the darkness, but the one who loves his beloved resides in the light. What does that mean? It, it really means the, one, the people that we should really love. And if we don't love the, the people that we really should love, then we're not in the light. We're in the darkness. And what I found fascinating about John, and throughout this letter we find it, if you may rem- remember in, in chapter one, we looked at, at about these opposing views, the claims and the counterclaims. Um, and all the way up to this verse here, and as we'll see later on in letter of John as well, John is not one for sitting on the fence. With him, there is no dawn and dusk, some gray area, some transition period where, where like in, well, it's something in between. And we could say, well, you know what? I I don't hate someone, but I don't love them either. I'm kind of neutral. And and that sounds perfectly reasonable, um, a reasonable position to have, because, well, if I don't really know someone, how can I express some kind of attitude or feeling towards uh, towards that person? But John calls us here to get off the fence. And he said, well, no, you're either in the light or in the darkness. You either love or you hate. And if you don't love, then you hate. And if you don't hate, then you need to love. And he calls us to that that benchmark of love that is Jesus Christ. And does not allow us to sit in some kind of neutral ground. And we may think that neutral ground is... Something positive, um, or it's it's okay, uh, but in reality, even in life, we, we find that it's not. There's a there's a great movie. I don't know. Uh, We've seen it that Tom Hanks is in. That's called uh, The Terminal, where uh, Tom Hanks plays this guy who arrives at the airport in transit, and in the time that he was uh, that that he entered the the transit area through passport control and was in transition, uh, the country that he came from, uh, there was some coup or something in the country basically ceased to exist. And, and it, it was not acknowledged anymore in international law. And he was stuck in transit. He was basically living in this airport, uh, not being able to go back to where he came from, and not also being able to proceed on to where he wanted to go to. Uh, and that is an interesting, uh, interesting situation to be in. Uh, it's kind of, it's neutral ground. Um, it's a difficult situation to be in. If you've ever been caught between two border posts, it's a very strange place to be. Uh, because sometimes you, you, you get this feeling of, well, I'm stuck here, I need to go somewhere. When we travelled, uh, sometimes when we lived in Namibia, we went to visit our family in South Africa, and we travelled through Botswana, which was the closest, um, the, the shortest route. So, but the border post between Botswana and South Africa, at one place, uh, sorry, between Botswana and and Namibia, uh, where you because it's a it's it's in the desert. Uh, there's a very long distance between the two border posts. So when you leave Botswana uh, and you leave the passport control there, and you go into Namibia, there is, I can't remember the exact number, but it's something like 30 or 40 kilometers between those two border posts. And once we got caught where we left the Botswana border post just before it closed, and We drove, said, we we need to drive fast so we can make it to the Namibian border post before they close. And when we got to the Namibian border post, there was an issue with our passports because the person on the Botswana side forgot to stamp our passports when we left. Even though we looked at everything, he didn't actually stamp it. And so we asked the guy in Namibia, so what do we do now? He says, like, well, I can't let you in. Um, you need to go back to the Botswana border post. But we knew that the Botswana border post was closed already. And suddenly you're stuck in this like, I can't go anywhere. This one won't let me in. I can't go back to the other one because they closed, so they won't let me in either. And then you end up, where do we sleep? You sleep in your car in the middle of nowhere? It's a bit like same similar situation in a very small contained way that... uh, Tom Hanks was caught up in, this, uh, in this, this terminal. But even though this idea of being neutral, of sitting on the fence, doesn't sound so bad, it is actually not a good place to be in general. Um, and what John calls us here, he calls us off the fence. He says we cannot be on neutral ground. We need to decide, are we hating or are we la- loving? We need to make a choice. Where do you stand? And specifically, he talks about our relationship uh, with our brothers and sisters in the church, first of all. Because that was the benchmark that Jesus set in John 13, when he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that makes church so much more different than It is not just a meeting that we attend. It is not just a social gathering. It is a community, a family, where we are called to actively love one another. A community where we are expected to get off the fence and make that choice of not hating but loving. Now, I know when, you know, like like any family that gets very close, that gets to know each other. that spend a lot of time together. Sooner or later, we find reasons not to love, or you know, we we have opinions about each other. Um, I lived with Oliviers for a while. I lived with with Malcolm and Penny for a while, and uh, you know, as, as sometimes when we even live together, we get to know each other better, uh, and and we can find reasons that uh, not to love each other. Or you know we can get irritated with each other. We we sometimes even sin against each other. Um, you know we have we have uh, uh, expectations. Uh, sometimes we're disappointed by our expectations. Uh, we face tricky things like having opposing political views, yet being united in our love for each other. Uh, we can find loads of reasons uh, uh, to, to to kind of. Uh, not love each other, get irritated with each other, get impatient with each other. But what John says, you know what? There is no neutral ground in our relationships in the church. If we don't love, then we hate, and then we're still in the darkness. But if we make the decision to to really love each other, it is amazing that in verse 10, John says, "Then, then there is no cause for stumbling in him. And that is the actually the, what, what John is saying, the safest place to be is not neutral ground, but the safest place to be is that place of loving relationships. Because that is the place where love co- covers over all wrongs, as it says in uh, Proverbs 10, 12. Uh, as it says in First uh, Peter 4, verse 8, love covers over a multitude of sins. That decision to love is really where the safety barrier and, and the guardrails come from. Uh, he says, you know, that there's no cause for stumbling if we love each other. It's actually safer because when do we stumble? When we walk around in the dark, but when we see the light and we can see where we're going, then we're safe. John calls us off the fence and he says, we really need to love each other if we wanna live. In the light. I want to finish off with um, moving on to the communion and going back to, to what Jesus said. Um, Jesus himself called us higher also in, in the standard of our love. In his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 4, 5, verse 46, he said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? When Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, he really set the example in loving the unloved, loving the ones that didn't look like they were loving you. He set the example in loving the outcast, in loving the poor, the foreigner. He was the one who not only in words told us to love the Samaritans, but actually went to the Samaritans. He's the one who gave water to the Samaritan woman at the well. A foreigner and a woman, which in the culture and the society of the day uh, was considered an absolute no-no. Yet he broke down that barrier and showed us that um, the reward is not in loving those who are easy to love but to love those who are unloved in society. <clears throat> in, um, in verse 11 of our theme scripture in 1 John 2, John says, the one who hates his fellow Christian is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When Jesus gave us the example of his own love and said, this is the way we must love each other, he knew where he was going. He knew what kind of example he was was setting. And in fact, if we read around that, John 13, 34, where he gives us this new commandment, in verse 33 and 36, like packaging that new commandment, He told the the disciples, he said, where I am going, you cannot come. And then he gives them this new command. And then in verse 36, Peter said to him, but Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then, of course, Jesus challenges him and uh, says, well, you will actually deny me three times um, before the rooster crows. Jesus knew where he was going. And he knew that um, to live in the light and, and, and to really truly love uh, is to know where we're going and do it deliberately and consciously and knowing that it may involve sacrifice. And that example that he set for us, he showed us on his way to the cross where he knew what was waiting for him. He knew the suffering that was waiting for him Uh, with his flogging, with the mocking, with the very act of being crucified. He knew what was waiting for him. He knew what was waiting for him in death itself and going into uh, that place of darkness and uncertainty, wondering what's on the other side. He knew the suffering that was waiting for him, and yet he knew where he was going. And that was the, 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 the example and the demonstration of his love, the love that we are called to. If you have have some bread and some fruit of the vine, we're going to have uh, the communion now to remind us of this way that Jesus knew that he was going to follow. This way of uh, a broken body on the cross. And uh, as we have uh, the bread, let's think about that broken body on the cross that Jesus willingly followed the path to show his love to us. And as we we have the fruit of the vine, let's think about his blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. And that Jesus willingly and knowingly followed that path of sacrifice, of sacrificing his very own life so that we can follow in his footsteps and live a life of forgiveness and grace in him. Let's pray for the bread and the wine. Dear God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incredible love you have shown us. We thank you that the love of Jesus was not just words, that Jesus did not sit on the fence, that he did not just speak nice words and tell us to love and not to hate, but that he actually lived a life that was not neutral. That he lived a life that chose love, that chose sacrifice, and that knew the way where he was going, God. Thank you for showing us the way through your son, Jesus Christ, God. Thank you that we can, because of that, live in your grace and your forgiveness, God. And as we have this bread and fruit of the vine, God, please keep on forgiving our sins, Father, as you have promised. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.